Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. The show must go on. <laughs> yes, and on and on and on. Good morning. Good morning. And good afternoon, good evening, and good middle of the night to everyone listening. We're back on a beautiful Wednesday morning here. I'm in a campsite near Newcastle, Colorado. I love Colorado. Yeah, today was the first time I woke up at the temperature in the low 30s. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's beautiful there. You must have a good heater because you're just wearing a t-shirt. Oh, it's lovely inside. My, my, uh, beast is working really well. Everything's okay. everything, you know, minor like dinks and donks, but not nothing major. Dinks so far, and donks. this trip, <laughs> not compared to my first trip where everything broke. So speaking <laughs> of, uh, RV life, I got a couple of follow-ups for you, but I wanted to just hear how you are doing and anything new up in Santa Barbara, anything changing up there and any, uh, miracles. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no babies yet. And it's, uh, it's getting gray up here. So that's a change because it's always so blue and, and, uh, I'm sorry for people in other parts of the country, but, but Santa Barbara is pretty, pretty beautiful and moderate. It's like 70 something all the time and, and blue skies. So, um, it's been a little gray, you know, which sometimes can affect your mood. So, you know, adjusting because it's a new life for me kind of being settled up here. Um, you know, so all the seasons you kind of have to like see what that's like. So that's been a little bit of adjustment, but no miracles. And, um, I am working on something with some local people here that I feel like I'll be able to announce shortly so that's kind of exciting and yeah just waiting on babies well the seasons are something that when you live in southern california you you get a sense of them but you don't get a sense of them like you do when you're in the rest of the country or other parts of the world and right now i mean we've got the golds and the reds and the beautiful chain colors of changing the last couple days i had a friend visiting from virginia deborah and she and i have been traveling and she we went to the uh she went to the grand canyon and we mm. went to Monument Valley and we went to Lake Powell and the colors and the and the geology and everything are just stunning. And we did some hiking and just a lot of nothing, a lot of reading, watching movies and and eating, of course, eating, always eating. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting because, you know, the other day on a past podcast, I was talking about signs and how. We're being told what to do by all these signs everywhere. And there were two new ones that came up this past week, which I I have to talk about. One of them was watch for falling rock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so the question I have is like, so what do I do if there's a rock falling on and hits my vehicle? I mean, shouldn't I be watching the road for rocks as opposed to watch for falling rock? Uh, why wouldn't I be watching the road all the time? It's just one of those signs. And then it shows the little boulder coming down the cliff. You know, the, you know, the sign I'm talking about Uh who thought that one up. Well, that's a, that's a, you know, if you're, if a, a boulder comes tumbling down onto your car, it's a, well, we told you. (laughs) (laughs) 
But he told right. you there was rocks here. <laughs> right. It's like, do not iron your clothes while standing in the shower. Is that the thing where we told you not to use the electric uh, appliance <laughs> while you're standing in the shower because it's on the wrapper or whatever? I don't know. No, it's just it's just one of those signs. It's it, it just made me laugh hysterically because. And I have to tell you a story. When I was uh, in college, uh, my friend Greg and I drove um, all night one night to get to uh, Colorado to go skiing during break. And we were laughing at that sign, that very sign. And we came around the corner once and in the middle of the road was a boulder the size of a Volkswagen. <laughs> so <laughs> I always I always knew that they can that can happen. But that's I saw it because I was watching the road, not because I was reading the sign <laughs> and looking right. up. Looking up, like if I took my eyes off the road and looked up at the cliff, I might be over the other other end of the cliff, um, because those roads are, you know, they're they're quite kind of interesting, especially when you're driving a beast, an RV, and and there's no uh, shoulder on a lot of these yeah. roads. So it's yeah. uh, it's uh, it's an interesting drive. And the second sign was more distressing for me, and I know that this can happen. But on our way up to Colorado, we went through Moab and we stopped at Arches National Park. And the sign on this park said, park closed. Come back in three to five hours. Do not wait here. <laughs> <laughs> so the park was full. Have you ever heard of, the, have you heard of that happening? I don't know that I've heard of a national park being full. No, but it doesn't surprise me like that they have to kind of put some limitations on how many people are coming through at the same time so that they don't, you know, affect the the beauty of the landscape by having too many people coming through at the same time. Yeah. And it makes it hard. I understand it. And I was talking to the uh, owner of the RV park where I'm at and she says, she says, yeah, there's been more tourists going on. It's just, it's maybe a good thing that people are back out on the road and doing things and stuff like that, but it is the middle of October mm -hmm. and you'd think there'd be less people out, but it is a really gorgeous time to be traveling right now. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, you meet great people in the RV park. But I just thought that those two signs just sort of <laughs> summarize things. Yeah. So um, we have a couple guests today. We're going to talk to people from the Tourmaline Birth Center. Um, and it's Josie and Morale. And they're not on yet. So we're going to, uh, when they come on, we'll bring them on. Okay, great. Uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about birth center birthing and about uh, a whole integrative uh, wellness thing that you started actually. So we'll get to that when, when um, they come on. In the meantime, I had some other things that I wanted to talk about and we'll go until they come on. One of them um, was that a couple of midwives have asked me if I could order some lidocaine for them, but it's back ordered. Mm. Remember for a while you couldn't get Pitocin. Lidocaine you cannot get. You can get it, I think, if you're a hospital, but you can't get it if you're an individual doctor or private practice. Wow. Which that is, was the member in the middle of COVID. We couldn't get IV bags yep. because everything was only going to the hospital. That was kind of scary. Yeah. But it's you know what? I think you might not be able to get lidocaine for a suture job. Yeah. And you know what's scary? What's what's sad about it is that why does the hospital get priority over yeah. anybody else? Totally. Yeah. That is it's discrimination in some ways. Totally. I mean, you know, the, the private doctor's office needs lidocaine just as much as the hospital does. Right. So, yeah. um, and then also we tried to order some vacuums, a specific kind of vacuum that Dr. Flores wanted, back mm -hmm. ordered. Can't get those either. Mm. So, you know, ultimately I still have some of the mushrooms that I use, the mushroom vacs, 
and and Victoria will borrow a little, or not borrow them. So she'll, she'll use them. You can't can't give them back. I think once you use them, but um, but once those run out, if we don't have any more of those, we can't provide the care that we would normally provide to yeah. people because of a supply shortage. We've not really seen that in this country, and you know we don't have to dive into why that is. It's just really something that shouldn't be happening, and it should we shouldn't. If there's a supply available, they should be anybody first come first serve should be who gets it, not rationing to hospitals. Right. And hospitals yeah. have other choices of canes besides lidocaine. We don't. Yeah. Give us our cane. Yeah. So um, one other thing I'll talk about, I gotta, I'll save some of this stuff for future things, but I was speaking to a midwife, Glenda, yesterday in Florida. And Glenda. She, Glenda. Good witch. That's Glenda. Oh, this is different. <laughs> this is Glenda. I think that I think the good witch is Glenda. But you know Older what? Than I. Yeah, I, think, I don't know. I think it's <laughs> anyway. Glenda. Moving on. Moving People on. will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I get a lot of that. I get a lot of corrections and a lot of, but it's it always done in a nice way, which is great. Um, by the way, Wednesdays are a great day for podcasts because all the you know really not all the great podcasts come out, but a lot of great birthing podcasts come out. Like uh, Nathan's comes out. Down to Birth podcast comes out. Um, it just kind of, it's kind of cool that that Wednesdays is a release day because I look at our podcast when I wake up in the morning to see on my feed, and it's already like six or seven down the feed. It should be the top one because it just came up, but there's so many other ones that come up that just push it down. Yeah, right. So it's tell, a popular day. It is a popular day. So Glenda, mm-hmm. Glenda also noted that something that I think you've mentioned and other midwives have mentioned. She's seen a lot more retained placentas. Did you have you heard this too? Um, I have heard, uh, you know, through stories of midwives kind of talking about what's going on. Um, more, I mean, you have been mentioning dysfunctional labors. I've heard more bleeding issues, um, more placenta abnormalities, like velamentous insertion. Yeah, yeah, and then. Um, yeah, maybe a little bit more of retained, but not not as much as bleeding stuff. Okay. Yeah. And loss. I mean, I mean more loss. you know, sometimes you're looking for things because you're looking for things and they've always been there, but you've just never noticed them before. Like, yeah. for instance, when I bought a Mini Cooper years ago, <laughs> um, I never noticed Mini Coopers before. And I bought a Mini Cooper and suddenly I could I see Mini Coopers everywhere. Yeah. And they were probably everywhere before I bought them too, which is probably why I bought one. But, but um, you di- I didn't notice them as much, and so now sort of we're looking for abnormalities because we've been told that there are abnormalities related to the whole pandemic issue, and maybe there are, or maybe we're just looking more. I don't know. Yeah. Speaking of pandemic stuff, I was listening to uh, Nathan Riley's podcast with one of my heroes. Um, uh, Christiane Northrup, who I yeah. absolutely love. She is working on a dating app for people who didn't, who, whose DNA is not altered. Ah, well, how will they, they know? How will they know they won't get, uh, like, holes in there? <laughs> I mean, I don't know that. Do you always ask the funniest questions. But anyways, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, people who, you know, are interested in mating you know like creating babies with people who didn't get the job so interesting that is an interesting thing i'll wait to see how that works out um 
I yeah, I think it would be great to have something like that because there's an app called Donald Daters. I don't know if you know about that, but people that voted for Trump. <laughs> No, I should not know about that. No, no, why not have one for people that haven't been vaccinated? And then they could have one for people who have been vaccinated. Well, that's all the rest of them. All the everybody, everybody else. Right. That's that's pretty funny. You know what? I've got a lot of other stuff, but let's bring on our guests. Yes. All right. So I'm going to admit them to the admitting from the waiting room into the. Welcome. 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 We have um, Josie Petrich and Morale Shabak, I hope I'm saying their names correctly, from the Tourmaline Birth Center, the Tourmaline Collective in San Diego, California. And uh, this is, uh, Josie was born and raised in San Diego. She's excited to serve the families on the very street she's been walking on since she was a child. She's always been fascinated by women's reproductive health and childbirth. And while in college, with hopes of entering obstetrics, she became pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, that happens. Through the birth of her first daughter, she came to realize that her own personal beliefs about childbirth did not align with the obstetrical model. Good for you. She began to research other options for supporting birthing women. She found Zoni Institute of Midwifery and graduated from there in 2015. Josie is passionate about holistic health, creating community and con- conscious parenting. She has worked at Acorn Community Birth Center in Fallbrook, Southern Cal- that's in Southern California, Best Start Birth Center, and dabbled in her own humble home birth midwifery practice. It- it is an honor to come full circle and serve families here in her hometown. And then Morale um, began her midwifery career in 2014 when she was accepted to Nizoni as well. I think, Bliss, you probably know them. Um, I know Morale. We, we were in school together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, leading up to her path, she earned a BA degree in anthropology and women's studies. Her experiences at University of California, Irvine, taught her that we must use our specific skills to bring forth positive change. She was born in Iran moved to the U.S. as age of six. Going through such a large transition from one culture to another taught her that we must be open and flexible in order to move forward. We cannot hold tightly onto traditions simply because we haven't been exposed to another way. Boy, is that true. Is that true? We got to look out of your box. Morale's goal is to bridge the gap between doctors and midwives so that we may blend our cultures and select practices that are truly optimal. She and Josie firmly believe that we can provide choice, confidence, and peace at the moment of birth for families. We can ensure a future full of those same qualities. So welcome, guys. Welcome, ladies. Ladies. Sorry. Everybody's a guy. (laughs) Actually, I don't know. I don't know what your pronouns are, so I might have fucked that up, too. So welcome. (laughs) How are you all doing? We're doing great. We're very happy to to um to be here in this conversation and hear what you guys have created down there. I know that you've been working hard and so we're really interested to share that with everybody. Yeah, thanks for having us. So tell us a little bit about it because you know, we talk about birthing centers all the time as if people understand what they are. <laughs> and a lot of people are new to the the birthing world. They don't really know. They think a birthing center is like well it's connected to a hospital and and uh, they have all kinds of equipment there that we don't have at home. And so why don't you, you know, start with that. I mean, we'll get, I mean, we'll get into the integrative stuff because that's where it really gets cool. Mm-hmm. But talk about your model of care and that sort of thing initially. Let's start there. Yeah. So our birth center is one of the few birth centers that's primarily LM run in San Diego that has a shift schedule. <laughs> um, and that's been really amazing for us because our whole goal was to have sustainability for providers and clients. Um, So we kind of structured everything else around that model. So um, 
Stu, as you mentioned, as far as like equipment, safety, like that component doesn't change in our practice from any other out-of-hospital care provider in in California, right? So we have all the same safety equipment. We have, you know, anti-hemorrhagics and oxygen and IV fluids and antibiotics and resuscitation tools, all of that fun stuff. Um, But one thing that we do have that's a little bit different is we have well-rested midwives because we have five people and they're on a 24-hour schedule. Um, so that's kind of the new thing in our model that we brought in. I would say that's the, that's the biggest thing that, you know, is a little bit of a shift from how other practices in San Diego, especially are, are practicing in that first center umbrella. Well, tell, tell me how it's different because it's very similar to what we did at the sanctuary. So 100%, but in San Diego, (laughs) um, there are a few other birth centers. So we have best start amazing facility primarily run by certified nurse midwives. So still a different model than our practice. We're still like very focused on preventative medicine. Um, and then of course, if we need a bump up to those other tools, we have it. Um, but then the other facilities that are here are again, incredible safe practices, but they don't have shift schedules. Um, typically it's more like trying to shove a home birth model into a birth center setting. Um, so it's just a shift in location. Um, so can you explain that a little bit more? Like how is it different? Yeah. So versus having two or three midwives that are on call 24 seven and have birth teams for a planned birth center birth. We have a shift schedule. So our clients get to meet everybody. We do our best to make sure that clients meet each midwife several times, feel really comfortable with everyone. Um, And then we have a call schedule. So in a 24-hour period, typically we'll have two licensed midwives or our CNM um, and then a birth assistant on as well. And sometimes we'll have a a primary or uh, assist student on the calendar too. Um, And so that way, you know, if I have a couple of back-to-back births in that 24 hour shift, I can call the next on-call person and I can call the BA if I need a little extra support, if it's like a marathon birth. Um, and then of course, you know, we have your recovery day to look forward to. We try not to do more than two on-call shifts back to back. Um, so you just have like your midwives are refreshed and on top of it. Um, and then you get to provide really safe care because you're not like, making decisions out of exhaustion. You're not putting someone on a time clock because you're really tired and it's not safe anymore to be there, you know, for several days. So yeah. Um, yeah. That's a, that's been a big shift for us and a big transformation for us too. Cause we all did most of our training in like that 24-7. Now that we've been spoiled by it, the idea of going back to me on call 24 seven, I'm like, it's impossible actually. Yeah, no, I, I I totally get that. And I think that for sustainability, it is absolutely a great idea. Um, how do you overcome a couple of things? I have a couple of questions that that can that have come up in, in the hospital model where they work shifts too. Um one is do all five of you guys have the same philosophy and style? What happens when you, you know, when one person might be a different style than the other person? Um, how do you deal with that, like even in the clinic and the office? And the second question would be. What if one of the clients prefers one of you over the other one? How do you deal with that sort of deal? Yeah, those are great questions, Stu. So um, really, we've kind of structured our model of care to be uh, client-centered, right? In the midwifery model, it's it's mother-centered care. So in terms of we all have our different styles just by being individual people. 
but we're really driven by what does the client want and meeting their needs. So although someone might vibe more with with a particular midwife, um, our overall goal and the way we present options and care is going to be consistent. And we do this by having like regular meetings, by having our chart review and really reviewing clients that have more, you know, notable issues or individualized needs um, and making sure that we have like a structured plan for them that's consistent. Um, And then, yeah, there's sometimes that people will be like, I really want you at my birth. And we always just reaffirm it, which is, I think the home birth way too, is like, whoever's going to be at your birth is the one that's really there meant to serve you. And maybe I'm here for your prenatal care. Maybe I'll be at your birth. Um, or maybe I'll be the one seeing you at that first day of postpartum mm-hmm. visit, but we're all on your team. And I think, uh, what I really tell clients is that we're working with you towards this goal. So we all want you to see you thrive. And we all have that same goal of like, what do you want for this birth and this baby and your family? Yeah. And I think another thing that really helps us is the way we present it to clients when they, when they do their like consult tour appointment with us, people are understand that we work as a team, right? So we even talk about, correct. You're not getting that like one person that's yeah. with you for 10 months. Absolutely. So that's a little bit of a difference in the relationship. But the flip side of that is you're getting the knowledge and information from five full providers. So you have five people working on any issue at every given moment. And so we're attracting clients that prefer that model, right? Mm -hmm. And if someone, and we've had this happen a few times since we've been open, if someone is verbalizing to us, hey, like I had a very difficult birth last time and I really need someone that's just gonna one person hold my hand. And we're like, awesome. Let us give you referrals for home birth practices. Yeah. You only want to serve the people that are right for your practice, right? We don't ever want to convince anyone to come into our care. Yeah, exactly. And how many clients are you guys taking? So we cap at 12 due dates per month. We average about eight to 12, you could, depending on obviously the month. <laughs> um, we do only have two birth seats. And so we just wanted to really account for that. And we all have worked on in much higher volume birth centers before. So we just wanted to choose our cap conservatively because we didn't want to end up in a place where we have to set time limits that just goes against how we are, you know, our belief in birth. And so um, that's kind of where we're at right now. One day, if we're starting to hit that cap regularly, we might expand to doing home birth just because, you know, physically we would run out of space. (laughs) Yeah, no, I was wondering if you guys did home births as well. I think it's much easier to be able to manage a larger load when you are only doing the birth center. So that makes sense. Two surprise home births. Yeah, Yeah, I bet. Come to me, come to me. You have to come to me. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think it's the point you made about uh, clients understanding your model of care and then self-selecting that they understand. So they understand that they're getting, this is what they've signed up for. And being very clear with that all along. Mm-hmm. How do you deal when you're with your, you know, you, some of you came from, like you said, you were doing 24 seven. How is the, how is it working for you to be with somebody in labor and your shift is up and she's not ready to deliver yet and you leave? How, how, how yes, do you do that? That's a good question. <laughs> we, we it, definitely struggled at the beginning. Yes. It was very odd <laughs> for us. 
Um, I will say Josie, especially my sweet, sweet friend, had a really hard time with that. And Josie does manage our practice overall a little bit more. So it's like no matter what, she has to have her hands you know, hovering over everything because she manages everyone. (laughs) And it was challenging. But then, you know, after you you you're doing, you know, the months where you do have 12 births and one time accidentally 13 because two people signed in at the same time, those months you realize that you have to go home Mm because someone else might go into labor tomorrow and that you're first on call that next day. And so once you see the pattern building of like, oh yeah, I can serve people better overall. If I get to go home and sleep, then it gets easier. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, like you said, we prepare our clients for what it's going to be. So our clients often are not like, oh, no, you're leaving. They're like, oh, awesome. My other midwife is coming, too. So yeah. we've been able to create that, you know, sense of safety with everybody. So it definitely got easier over time. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. I was sort of talking about because I know that the, you know, as birth workers, the culmination for us is to watch the baby being born and watch the parents deal with all that stuff. And I never in my entire career ever worked on a shift basis. I Even when I was at the hospital, I took care of my own clients and I was there from start to finish. And the reason that I went into obstetrics was for that purpose. And so if I had suddenly got a job working for an HMO or I was working a shift, I'm I'm not sure that I would have been able to keep up the passion so because yeah. I, I i know that midwives have that they have that energy inside of them that they want to be yeah. there for the birth so i was just wondering how you guys yeah. as you're saying yeah. and you said it was a little difficult sometimes it's difficult to yeah, just, it's, it's right. difficult to just go home <laughs> and be like okay um i think in the first year there was definitely times where we were all kind of like chart stalking each other and (laughs) what's going on? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? But I think that made us collectively stronger as a team because then we're using our collective mind and and we have more protocol. If we have irregular patterns or if we think there's like an emotional block, it's like now we all have each other's information. So there's like continuity in the birth space. You know, being up 24 hours, 48 hours, like, having that space to like go home and rest is really important also for the client too because you get kind of stuck in this like energetic rut and so that fresh energy really helps and so knowing that it's better for everyone in the end I think helps well I think I think the point is that um you know because I've done both I've I've worked and owned a birth center and I've worked privately. And um, I think that the, the thing that we need to focus on is that there's a different way of practicing for midwives that feels right for them. And there's a different, um, there's a midwife for everybody. And so I think it's like you pointed to, I think it's about being really straightforward about what the limitations are with each one of the models and allowing the clients to really you know, choose what feels right for them. Because for me, I just know, I mean, I'm thinking of some of the clients that are in my care right now. And it's like, I'm so grateful that I have months and months and months of time with them Mm -hmm. so that each time I go to a prenatal visit, there's another layer of understanding and trust and relationship. Like, the this particular woman that's on my mind right now like i just know that she wouldn't have the connection 
mm-hmm. with multiple people. It would just be really hard for her, you know, and um, and it would keep it at this more kind of superficial level because it's hard when you're switching in and out, no matter how kind you are and intuitive and all of that. It's really different spending months with one person than kind of switching out with lots of people. And, you know, I think each individual midwife has to really be able to determine like what's sustainable for them. And, you know, like if you, I, I've, I've worked with midwives who are resentful of, you know, being 24 seven and they are burnt out and they, and they need to make a change. They need to figure out a way to go and work at a birth center or to find a partner or something like that. For me personally, like I'm at a different stage in my life where I don't have a lot of other responsibilities. I don't have a lot of other things pulling at me. So for me to have a small practice, um, it really works for me individually as a midwife. And I know that that's not for everybody and it might not be for my entire career that it might work for me. But I think that, um, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that both models have value to them and can serve a different type of clientele. So definitely yeah i agree yeah if i had the option at this point in my career my career would be i would be able to extend my career significantly if i had two or three other doctors who were doing home birth dr chavira dr drake you're listening (laughs) 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 then you know because you know dr flores is great um but she's gonna have another baby and she's gonna slow down and that's that's definitely gonna happen it just is and um but that your model is really something that again you either evolve to it you evolve from it yeah but it's it's great to have both models and you guys have to have a a, a deep trust of each other yes so you you must have the camaraderie like a team it's like you know a hockey team or what's which is my reference but where you know your brothers or sisters or whatever <laughs> with each other because you 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 have to be and yeah. i think that 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 camaraderie is also something that's hugely missed in the isolated world that a lot of you know a lot of solo midwives have um there's even sometimes a competition in the in the between midwives and sometimes i again i'll say this bluntly because i've been exposed to it but there's a pettiness that can sometimes go on in the community um, that you won't, you know, in your, in your situation, you probably solve that problem. It seems like that would make sense. I would say our community is very strong. And I think, you know, it's interesting, Bliss, when you share that about, um, you know, clients that really, really flourish with that one care provider, which is so special. And I, I like love that part of like having a private practice. Like I'm like, Oh, I love that. But it's also cool. We get these people that like love having multiple care Mm -hmm. providers. And so Mm -hmm. they feel like they're the star, you know, and when they come into the center and everyone's like, oh, hey, how are you doing? They just are like blossoming because they feel like they have this whole support system. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. And so, yeah, I would say we're, we are very close we're like a family when things come up in practice which they do when you have multiple midwives and different personalities you'll get certain clients that that will be like oh well this midwife said that or like and then you kind of have to like come together as a team and and work work on those little things that that come up and also have trust with one another that you're you're all on the same team 
Yeah. It's like a, it's like a marriage. I think like I, I, um, I was courting. Yeah. I was courting another midwife over, uh, I don't know. When was that January? And it was so funny to like, we've known each other for 10 years. We know that we practice very similarly. We're friends, you know, like there's a lot that works about it, but it was really funny being in the birth space. It's like the little things of you get used to how you organize your equipment that makes yeah. you feel safe. And then you go in and they do it differently. And you're like, this is not really a big deal. But for me as a provider, it feels like a big deal. Yeah, like, girl. Huh, okay. <laughs> it's so true. It's so funny. It's so cute. We had like, it's like six or seven months ago, we had another midwife in the community helping us out with like a particularly long birth. So we had to call some help in and after the birth, they were like, well, I didn't know where the Ambu bag was. And in my head, I'm like, well, if it was just me and Josie, there's not a situation that there's that she would want the Ambu bag. And I just wouldn't know to give it to her. Like, there's so many of these tiny dynamic things that you build up and yeah, yeah, that that, like sense of community and family feelings (laughs) is so important to that. That's why we vet really well. So like we we've so myself, Allison, um, and Josie are the three owners, but we've hired several midwives since we've been open. And that process took out, well, the first one, especially, or the second one, our first person we vetted when they were still getting their license, <laughs> snagged them up. But our second person, it took a really long time to find the right fit. We yeah. were like literally posting on Indeed. That's actually how we ended up finding them. Mm-hmm. Although there ended up being a deeper connection with another one of our um, birth assistants. Um, who like nudge them to, to apply, but it took a long time. We had people come and do multiple working interviews and we're back and forth and it just was not working until the right midwife came into that space. And, and immediately we were like, this is it. Like it's her, Mm -hmm. she's going to be great. Um, And then same thing with our, our third, third hired midwife, you know, we vetted them for a few months before, what are they going to do when they get their license? (laughs) Um, cause we already knew we'd already worked with them a little bit and we yeah. knew they, they were the right fit, but it, it's not an easy thing. Like, I think we got really lucky because yeah, you just have to have this faith and trust in each other and how you practice and how you communicate. Communicate is so big. Yeah, exactly. You know what time it is? It's time to talk about LMNT, Element, our amazing sponsor. They're amazing because they sponsor us. and their product is yeah well they're a tasty electrolyte drink that has all the good stuff in it and none of the bs as bliss likes to say just like us like us like us and uh we think it's it's great um again we don't sponsor things on the podcast that we don't use or believe in so uh we think it's a great supplement to people who are exercising working out people who are in labor people who are pregnant people who are birth workers you know, even though they're not, they may be working more than a 24 hour shift, like the tourmaline people, but they're helping to replace things by taking something healthy and not something junky like Dr. Stu does too often. <laughs> and you know what? Um, I saw one of their posts the other day talking about how um, using electrolytes can help with headaches. And so I made the decision to carry them in my bag and and offer them to my clients when they're talking about symptoms that maybe just having the balance of electrolytes might make a big difference. And the great thing that I love about it is that there's no added sugar. So you don't have to be um, concerned with, um, you know, sugary drinks that, that we in general, shouldn't be having, but especially if you've got a mom who, you know, is really watching that for 
gestational diabetes or something like that, you don't have to have any concerns. Because it's low carb, it's people for people that are watching what they're eating. It's also a great supplement. So use it. It comes in multiple flavors, grapefruit, watermelon, citrus, orange, raspberry, raw, mango chili, lemon habanero, and chocolate salt. Go to Drink Element, that's drinklmnt.com. Put in the code word birthing instincts to get a free sample pack with every order that you make. Thanks, Element. Thanks, Element. I was really intrigued when Stu sent me some information about what you guys are doing there in terms of you have like a nonprofit component and you're doing a lot um, a lot of auxiliary services. So I would love to hear more about how that weaves into yeah. your birth practice. Um, so I, I can talk about the nonprofit and then you want to talk about the services. Let's do it. Okay. Um, so the nonprofit it's Thrive Wellness Collective, and we really created this nonprofit with hopes to subsidize care for those that can't afford midwifery services. Um, but it also extends to the whole collective, which Moral will talk more about in just a second. Um, and right now we've helped, I think we helped something like 30 people last year either with first services or um, preconception visits or miscarriage support visits. And right now, Thrive is really working on creating miscarriage support visits for people because there's such a gap in that um, in terms of a lot of people don't get a follow-up miscarriage visit. They don't, they have a lot of questions. Um, they're sent home to either, you know, kind of like watch and wait or maybe they have um, a medical miscarriage and that's still kind of a watch and wait when you go home. So we're working to kind of partner with different sonography locations, different ERs, OBs, so that they can send people to us for a free miscarriage support group. And then we're working with all the midwives in the community to see who else is open to doing like a, a free follow-up visit for people that have experienced a miscarriage. Oh, nice. For the physical and emotional components. And I think it's a great way also to introduce people to the midwifery model of care that might not have any idea about it. So it's kind of, and a good place where OBs, San Diego is much different than I think where you guys are at. Like our, our division of like OBs and midwives is very divided. Um, and so it's a place where maybe we can kind of bridge the gap and start to like, collaborate a little bit more yeah no i'm in santa barbara and it is very divided oh, okay. <laughs> so, i, would, I, I think it's like a beautiful to, idea to offer that service for free for people it's beautiful yeah i would like to commend you guys for that um you, you're the second person that i think i've spoken to in like six months who's come up with an idea for miscarriages because it is the sort of thing in the medical model of course as you know oh you know you've got a you know, you, oh, that you come in and you find a diagnose a blighted ovum or a fetal demise or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the doctor cold, you know, sort of callously and coldly gives you the options. And then he sends you home and then you either wait and you miscarry and then they see you back in two weeks or six weeks or whatever it is or whatever. But there isn't, there isn't that continuity because again, the medical model doesn't allow for the time or the, or the mm -hmm. continuity of care to, um, to nurture people going through this very, very traumatic thing. And whether you lose a pregnancy at, at five weeks from a you know chemical pregnancy, or it's at 10 weeks or 29 weeks or you know 38 weeks of stillbirth, every one of those is considered a huge loss. I mean, I know from a, my own personal experience and other things too, that, that the minute you find out you're pregnant, you've already got that kid 
riding a bicycle and (laughs) what color the room's going to be and everything like that. And and then it's lost. And and the medical model does not consider that. We talk about it in OB all the time. They don't consider the psyche of the pregnant woman. And for you guys to emphasize that and offer free counseling and and obviously even support just phone calls if you had to to just check yeah. in on people and and that sort of thing that is that's tremendous it's a tremendous thing uh, before we get into the more of the integrative stuff that morale is going to talk about I wanted to take a, a step back only because I think that people listening might be curious of how you guys decided to do this because maybe other people in the country might want to continue you know go follow this model so. Did you guys all know each other, you and Allison, and before, or did, or how did that go? And then the, yeah. the follow-up question would be, if you knew each other or didn't know each other, how did you get together, and why did you decide that this was something that was necessary? Because you were all doing something different before. You were all either independent or working at other birth centers, which had a different model. What was the inspiration, and how did it work so that other people listening might be able to follow through? Well, I, so I went, I, Allison and I were in the same cohort at Najoni. Um, Josie was a couple years ahead of us, but we had worked just together in the community, the different birth centers we all had been at. And Allison and I, when we were in school, this is now seven, eight years ago, um, we had talked about opening a birth center because long-term we both were like, we want to be able to work on this for, for an extended period. And just being on call 24 seven as isolated independent providers didn't sound like the right path for us. So we had kind of talked about it then and had this like little seed idea. Um, and then of course we all, you know, went our different ways to get our licenses. Um, and then myself, Josie and Allison ended up at this other birth center together. And when we were all there, we were like, this model isn't, this model isn't what we want to do either. (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot of great aspects of community in terms of having a birth center and classes like and having multiple providers Mm -hmm. felt really good, but there wasn't shift like shift changes. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of um, like there wasn't a lot of continuity of care in this. Like there were providers that were continuous, but there wasn't uniformity of practice. And that was really challenging for us. It's like reinventing the wheel every time you're in an appointment and making brand new decisions every time when you have multiple midwives and students, that was just not sustainable for us because you're, you know, you're the mental load of every single appointment was just too big. And then Allison had gone, um, I think she was in England and she had found a center that had multiple providers that were all really um, just working with pregnant people and postpartum people and babies, um, under one roof. And they did like postpartum care, lactation, they had classes. Um, and it was more kind of like bougie or spa-like. And so she had kind of this collective vision of having all these practitioners under one roof that had a passion for families, pregnant people. And that also were, with the same understanding of a holistic mindset and respectful of people's individualized choices, because we know in, in midwifery practice, generally to refer someone out can be really challenging. You're like, Oh, you should go see uh, this lactation consultant, or you should go talk to this ND or MD or, or whatever it may be. And sometimes that referral is really challenging for the client because all of a sudden they're met with, 
a, a clash in, in beliefs where they're like, well, why are you even here? Oh, you're birthing out of hospital. There can be a lot of pushback. Um, and so we wanted to find people that like were really warm and lovely and that when we referred them, the clients felt that immediate kind of like connection, like, oh, I'm taken care of. And so that's how we came up with the collective. Yeah. And, um, and it just was also, there was like a lot of kismet to it as well. Cause I, I had just told Josie, I'm not doing another birth center. I was leaving the last birth (laughs) center I was at. I was managing that facility and I was like, I'm not touching it with a 10 foot pole. I'm going to go and have my small little private practice and we'll have three midwives and have off call time. And it's going to be great. And I literally think it was the next day it that was. her and Allison had come <laughs> and seen the space that our birth center is at now. And they were like, well, we should get someone to like morale to like manage it. And then they called me that day and I was like, yeah, okay. I'll do it. <laughs> it, it makes sense. Cause it just, our, our style of practice, our understanding of the medicine, our understanding of how we wanted to take care of clients just matched up really well. So it was, it was a no brainer. Um, so then from there, when we opened, that's when we started our vetting process of all the integrated providers that work with us at the facility. So, um, the goal was to have everyone under one roof. Um, they all run their own practice, but we interviewed everyone that, um, came and wanted to provide care in our birth center, um, just to make sure that we, we aligned. So we have an awesome naturopathic doctor. We have an acupuncturist. We have pelvic floor therapy. We have a massage therapist. We have an amazing holistic psychotherapist. That has been a game changer. So that she does a consult for every single one of our clients. Um, and any time that we're like, okay, we need a little bit of extra support. They can either start seeing her regularly, or she's also amazing with getting referrals to other providers, figuring out what insurance plan, you know, the other providers accept. Um, that component mm-hmm. has been has been truly amazing. But we just have everyone under one roof. Yeah. We have an IV infusion clinic, a naturopathic doctor, um, a neuro touch therapist. Oh yeah. Oh, we have a car we partner with um the chiropractor next door, Cafe of Life. And then we have classes. So yoga is included in our care, which is held twice a week. And then all of our clients have childbirth education included in their care. So it goes through labor, comfort measures, birth postpartum breastfeeding and then like extended postpartum in terms of like the fourth trimester and what to plan for. Yeah. And then we have all kinds of other classes like CPR, first foods. Um, we have like an herbal medicine class. We have an herbalist that rents space with us. So we have a lactation consultant, a lactation counselor. Breastfeeding. Yeah, it sounds like, it sounds so, like the sanctuary. I mean, it's like, you know, similar. yeah, it sounds similar very familiar. Yet. I mean, that's why um, I'm too, so <laughs> took that little gem with yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Morale was, was a student for a little while at the sanctuary, too. Yeah. Um, so uh, where this sounds great. So where are the challenges? Where are you guys finding that it's Ooh, you're, it's difficult? So obviously, the financial <laughs> component for our clients, like that's the biggest thing, right? So everyone's got to make money. Mm-hmm. And our providers that work with us, they also charge a fee. I will say a lot of them are amazing. They do sliding scale wherever they can. That's the hardest thing. And that was the idea of working with our nonprofit so that providers are getting paid and clients are having their needs met. Again, like bringing it back to like sustainability is for clients and for providers. Um, so I think that's the, that's the biggest challenge is even though we have all these amazing, amazing resources, not every client can afford to see every single provider that 
we would like them to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we do yeah. our best. Yeah. And yeah. where is the money for the nonprofit coming from? Where Where's the funding coming Donations. from? Donations. Yeah. Yeah. We have which is a whole other job. Yeah. So we're working on, um, as you know, we opened during the pandemic or maybe you don't know, but we started all this pandemic. So then getting, you know, like doing promotion for the nonprofit was really hard and doing events. So we're just kind of moving back to get, get that ball rolling so that we can really serve more people. But what, what percentage of your practice is through the 501c3? And what percentage is just people coming in and being able to pay your fees? Um, you don't take insurance, I'm assuming. That's right? correct. Yeah. Yeah. You so can't, I'll, you can't, it's not sustainable if you do. So, agree. Right. yeah. Um, so, what we do right now is we have certain built in in kind donations. So, if a client is on Medi Cal, we do an in kind donation. So, we drop their fee by several thousand dollars. Um, but we're not always getting that money from Thrive, right? So it's just doing what we can on our end. The components that are coming from Thrive right now are more um, subsidizing care through the other providers that are in our facility. So other uh, like clients that need to see a therapist that maybe have a history of trauma or abuse that that we think could really benefit in a positive way, then we're able to subsidize that and get that paid for through the nonprofit. Um, and we've paid for, I think two people's births. Um, but again, it was still in kind donations where kind of like tourmaline is donating. donating. To the yeah. So you yeah. guys aren't accepting Medi-Cal, but when you have a low income client, you're working on a sliding scale is what yeah. you're saying. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And we do have payment plans. That's been really amazing for us too. So um, our kind of longest term payment plan is um, we take a deposit of 2000 over the first several visits. So usually that's like a three month span. Um, and then they pay $200 at each appointment at 36 weeks, whatever is left over, we apply a little 5% one time fee to spread the rest of that over 12 months. Um, so most people, depending on how much they can pay off before end up paying like maybe two to $300 monthly for a year after their birth. Huh, that's kind of risky. Yeah, I mean, it's been fun. It's been, there are, there's like a few people we've had to hunt down, but we set them up on, it's linked to their bank account. So if they're going to stop this payment, they're going to change their bank account. And um, we haven't, we've had way more success with it than challenges with the payment plans. Great. Um, And we use client care. So it's all basically automatic. We don't have to do anything and once they're on the auto debit. I just saw a lady yesterday. She's, I think, eight weeks. Oh, no, three months postpartum. And she's like, I, if it wasn't for the payment plan, it would have been really challenging for us. But they're so happy that they could have done it. And she's telling everyone about it. So I think it's a really wonderful option. for. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that at the heart of most midwives, is the desire to be able to give more access to people who don't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was pregnant, I did, I did trade um, Mm -hmm. and I would not have been able to afford to have my home birth without, you know, my midwife being willing to do that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I know that, that it's not always easy to figure out how to manage that, but, you know, I really acknowledge you guys for making that a priority in your community. Yeah. Why did you decide not to do Medi-Cal? 
I, so the last facility I worked at, I, I managed the facility. I was our in-house filler and we did accept Medi-Cal and it just was not sustainable for our practice. Um, one, it takes so many hours of follow-up to even get the full amount that you can get, get. Yeah. Uh, and then when you do get the full amount, it's still such a teeny tiny amount. Yeah. Um, so it just made sense to apply like an automatic massive discount for those clients because then the administrative work on the back end is much less. And then we can offer the payment plan anyway. And, you know, yeah, it's just such a shame that, you know, that you can't be able to utilize that because that really does give true access if if they could have their insurance pay for it and not have to, you know, think about the financial aspect. But do do any insurance, do any insurance companies pay for the birth center fee? I mean, do you have a yeah, separate they, do you have a so, separate fee between the delivery fee and the birth center fee? So or is it all one package? Previously, when I well, no, for us it's one package. Right. Um, but previously when I worked at a birth center, they do pay the facility fee. Absolutely. And they actually you make more money on the facility fee than you do on the professional That's service. what other midwives have told me. Yeah, um, yeah. That's the benefit that's the one benefit of having the birth center is that, you know, you can bill for the facility fee. So it, it gives another level of sustainability for that kind of But if you are do bill an insurance company, which you're not doing, but if you do bill for an insurance company for the facility fee, aren't there certain things that you have to not do and aren't there certain requirements to be able to bill insurance, like be a member of the AABC or, or, so you know. I've, I've only billed facility fee, like with people that are on Medi-Cal, um, to be, to accept a facility fee from people that are on straight Medi-Cal, the guidelines are really different. They're super strict. Yeah. Um, but all of the managed care plans, I, I, I can really only speak to like Riverside and San Diego County. It's so different everywhere. Um, all of those management pay, uh, management plans will pay the facility fee. Um, and it's about $2,000 and you get about $1,600 for your professional fees. So it's still only about 3,600 total. Yeah. I think what Stu's asking is, are there certain things that you guys are limited by in terms of external, um, associations to say, because you're a birth center, you can't do VBACs or, or you can't, uh, you know, anything like that, that you have to yeah, So we're not, we're not accredited by choice, right? We didn't want extra limitations and, um, our, our like licensure <laughs> is, is limited to a good degree. So why right. add extra tears? Mm-hmm. So they, you know, just twins and breaches. Wait, 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 wait. You saying just twins and breaches. And 42 um, is our limitation, right? <laughs> right. Would you yeah. ever do? Would you ever do a breach or twin at your birth center if uh, Dr. Flores or I were involved? Uh, case or by is- case, right? So it depends okay. on the client, what you know, what their wishes are. We just did this the, this amazing charting course with Augustine, and um, she does a really good job of talking about like if you're going out on a limb with someone, they really have to be asking you to go go there, and they have to feel really confident in that decision. Um, so you know, as like we were saying, client centered care. So if someone desires that and they they are ready to commit, you know, yeah, why not? Yeah, and especially, I mean, again, the prime ips need us the most, but multip success right. rates are like totally. astronomically high, the 98, 99, 100%. So 100%. Um, I mean, we're big advocates of it's a variation of normal. It's just my licensure and we don't, 
we don't step over those boundaries, but, um, but yeah, as far as like the med, the actual medicine part of it, the understanding of physiological birth. Yeah. We're pro, you know, breaches and twins. Hey, so I'm going to challenge you just a little bit because you said it's client centered care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a woman comes in and she doesn't want to do any testing, including ultrasounds. Great. I love this question. We do right. have our criteria is very firm and it would not be client centered. We we're totally down with no ultrasounds. We give like a thorough and firm consent. People understand there is, but as far as like basic lab work, we require that. Um, and it's not client centered for someone to be in a place where your providers don't feel safe about the decisions you're making. So that would be a situation where we would help that person find referrals um, to other practices that feel comfortable you know, feel comfortable supporting someone that doesn't want to do like any blood work. Yeah. So we like blood so, work. What do you say? We like blood work. We like if blood we, work. Yeah. If they, wanted to decline, if they wanted to claim their ultrasounds, we have an informed consent for that. Yeah. And the, and the other part of it with the blood work is like, we also have a very large staff of birth attendants and there's a level of protecting them as well. Right. So wanting like a negative HIV test, I think that's helpful yeah. for our, our large yeah. staff. If yeah. it's, you know, if it's a single or two midwife practice, I totally understand two people saying, oh, we're, we're willing to absorb this risk. We support this person. Um, you know, we have multiple employees and we don't get to make choices like that for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that this is where, you know, it gets into that, um, different comfort level. And when you have multiple providers, you may or may not have the same comfort level of certain things. So if you guys have found a way that you're all feeling the same comfort level on some of these things, you know, that's, that's the biggest challenge. So it sounds like, you know, to me, it was divine, you know, you guys were meant to, to work together and to create this beautiful center. So, yeah, we've honestly been really lucky and I will say like, we're really protective of our providers, right? So in any business, your owners are like, they're going to jump in, they're going to take all sorts of risks and they're going to feel okay about it because they're (laughs) striving for their business. But um, we also are really protective of our of our employee midwives, our birth assistants. Um, so we are really in a situation where we, if there's something kind of wishy washy, and we're not sure what to do, we have meetings, we take votes, we listen to everybody, and everyone on the team has to feel mm-hmm. comfortable because we have shifts. If there's a situation where I guess I was willing to say like, yeah, I'll be on call, I'll call on call for five straight weeks for this person, yeah that's a different story, but we're not in that boat. So if we have a midwife, that's like, I would not feel safe attending this birth, then we need to find another solution for that client. Yeah. You want to be consistent. Mm -hmm. I have a sort of a male practical question for you. Um, Do the people that the integrated people that work there, you said you had naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, pelvic floor specialists, holistic psychologists, and massage people and chiro, you know, chiropractors next door, but do they pay, do they pay a rent? Uh, do they pay a percentage or, or, oh, they pay rent. So they, they charge what they charge and Mm -hmm. they, but they pay you guys a rent. So you don't take a percentage of what they collect. No, that was really important to us on multiple levels. One, I do a lot of the administrative setup and I'm like, I don't want to have my hand in everyone's practice. That sounds terrible. Um, two, we really wanted people to maintain their practice autonomy. Um, and we do, um, Anytime we refer someone out, we have them sign a medical release so we can start collaborative care. Um, but we don't want them to feel like they're supervised by us or that we might fire them if they don't do what we want. And I don't really see exact no. situations where that would happen. But 
we just want to keep it conflict free and allow people to practice to the best of their ability without feeling like they're being watched. Okay. And I, you know, I think, I think these, there, there's no right answer to these questions. I'm just curious because I know that people listening might want to know this. Some of them anyway, not everybody yeah. thinks like I do, but, and the other question I have is obviously for sustainability and stuff, you've given up your independence and things like that. Um, have you taken a pay cut? I don't know. Actually, I feel like it's maybe as far as the pay, it's evened out the ratio to from pay to work. It's a I'm, lot of it different. Yeah, well, I know you have a better quality of life, but sometimes for a better quality of life, people give up uh salary. That's just what yeah, they do. Yeah. So so I we think definitely have given up one hundred salary. But it's less, it's not so much because we have off the call time, it's because we own our practice. So the yeah. owners absolutely have our midwives. I feel like they're doing well. They're doing great. Our midwives yeah, do awesome. Yeah, you know, I can relate to that. I, I had a collaborative practice for 15 years with midwives uh, in a hospital setting with two CNMs. And eventually we had, at one point we had three CNMs and two doctors. And everybody got paid except except me. <laughs> yeah, we're <laughs> like, it's not part of our business, yeah. you know, where you're like keeping everything in it that you can. And we're still really new. So, um, you know, we're happy that we can sustain ourselves financially, but... Um, yeah, definitely, you know, we'd be making more money if we we're working with someone else. I think that's almost always true. <laughs> or or self-employed is what I would say. Or, self- or solo, yeah. 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 Liz, do you have any comments? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that was a great question because it's, you know, it's true. I remember Alex Evangeliti, who was my partner and the and ran the clinical part of the sanctuary. You know, it was really hard for her to to let go of the center because she really loved working in collaboration with midwives. And um, but, you know, I was the one writing checks for everybody. And I knew that she was going to do really well and not have to work so hard because managing a business and being a midwife is not an easy thing. And I think that that's why so many birth centers don't sustain themselves, because it's a different skill set, you know, and. Totally. And for me, when I decided to step into becoming a midwife, I, I just became very clear that I didn't want to do both. I really wanted, you know, and it's not just the time. It's like the brain, like how your brain functions to be able to be linear and structured and the organic nature and the flow nature of being a midwife in a solo practice. It's just a whole different thing. But, you know, I kept telling Alex, you're going to do great. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, she she's doing fantastic as a single provider. And so, again, I think it just goes back to like you were saying, Stu, like, you know, you have the balance, but you give up something. And I think you just have to make that decision for yourself. What feels most important? And um, and if you're, you know, for those listening that are not, you know, who are like not happy with the structure that they're in right now. I would really encourage you like change what needs to be changed yeah. so that you can love the work you do again and you can feel supported and passionate about it and feel like you're giving the kind of care that feeds your soul. Because if you're selling out on yourself, it's going to come through in the quality of care. And then it affects how people think about midwives overall, because they're like, you know, she was burnt out. She came exhausted from another birth or mm-hmm. she was resentful or she left earlier, you know, whatever those things are that happen when we're not filled up. And I do really agree with, you know, that sentiment, however we get there, that we need to make sure that we are filled up and that we get what we, we need on the outside, whether it's time with our family or vacation or, 
you know, that you organize your practice in a way that really makes you feel um, abundant in in your energy and the care that you want to give. And I think midwives, first of all, have the option of doing that. I look at so many of my OB colleagues who are employees or or working for some large corporation or whatever else and 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 even if they you know they they always have the right the the ability to quit and change what they do but it is so hard for them to do that whereas i've watched the metamorphosis of the people from the sanctuary and and uh, you know because of my communication with midwives all throughout the country and even other parts of the world um i've seen that the, there, there's an ability to be flexible and do the things that you're doing and it's so necessary as Bliss says so eloquently, to have the sustainability and have this something where you love what you do, because to do what you do every day and not love it is is not healthy. It's, it's you know, besides you're not right. going to do a good job, it's just not healthy for you to do it. So, you know, I really wish for you guys to have longevity and success in what you're doing, because that kind of a model is something that we at Bliss and I are in a project to do something on a, on a different scale, but but similar in idea to get something sustainable where we have you can teach traditional midwives and we can have people come and have birthing the way that they want to have it in a, in a setting that's not institutionalized and not regulated by, by too many people who don't, who are so distant from the process that, you know, they sit in their, you know, their nine to five job and tell people what to do at two o'clock in the morning. And, you know, that's what we want to do. And so this, the reason that it was great for us to have you on and to discuss all this because you're painting a picture of something that is a new paradigm because the old paradigm has to go. Maternity care in the United States is awful. Yeah. And the yeah. people that run it are so deep inside their own little world that their bubble that they don't see how awful it is. It's like it's like the analogy that fish can't see the water they're swimming in. All right. They don't they don't know right. what they've done. And they and they think that this is the the answer, despite the fact that they're that things have turned, you know, gone really south in maternity care in the United States. So Again, I'm grateful for you guys, and I really do hope that your model catches on and people listening, you know, if they want to reach out to you and contact you to find out a little bit more morale about it, we'll we'll put we'll post everything in the show notes, but why don't you just give a little bit of information about how people can reach out to you? Or maybe donate to your nonprofit. Totally. Even, even better. Yes. Yeah. Both, both are great. Yeah. I mean, we're always available. We we're of the firm belief that we need more midwives and we need more places like this. So we, we have no trade secrets. It's all public. So, um, honestly, people can reach out to me directly at, uh, morale at tourmalinecollective.com, M-A-R-A-L at tourmalinecollective.com. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions about the business model, our midwifery practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the website for the nonprofit is um, uh, thrivewellnesscollective.org. Um, and you can donate directly on there as well. Um, also our Instagram, Tourmaline Collective, we post all of our classes, um, statistics, information. Um, and then of course our website, tourmalinecollective.com has a lot of information on it as well. Awesome. Thank you guys for being here. And we do wish you wild success and that all of your mamas and babies are thriving and happy along with your practitioners, your providers. Thank Thank you you so so much. much. Thank you for having us on. It was really great to chat with you. And I'm really excited about what you guys are going to come up with next. Oh, we've got some things (laughs) going on. It's pretty exciting. (laughs) Thanks guys. So that was great. That was interesting. Yeah. It was it was better than I expected. 
oh good <laughs> yeah um it's just so interesting i had this experience i went into a full moon circle with some women the other night um this is my second month attending and um they're all like have young kids you know they're like in the throes of of what that means to be a mom raising small children and it's really interesting for me you know to be like in this more crone um seat where i remember being exactly where those ladies were like creating and like bringing all these people together it's a really exciting time for them and so it, it just i'm like oh yeah i remember that so well and um so it's it's fun to kind of uh let the energy and the of the youth you know kind of take over and as we have talked about before and we're 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 in a different period of our life where we're we're um thinking about, you know, our legacy and, uh, you know, what we can give back from, from where we are and what we've accomplished so far. And, um, so it's just, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to get older, Stu. <laughs> well, the alternative is worse. So, uh, yeah, no, it, yeah, it is. And I, and I like what you just said, because they're building, a something that hopefully will be, uh, sustainable because the current system is not sustainable. Yeah. And you and I are are going to try to fight on a different level. I mean, you're still continuing to practice. I'm not sure where my future lies in that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um she did the she did the hand waving thing like eh. so we'll see about what where that goes. But Well, but, the thing is if if I'm going to if I'm going to travel around and interview these midwives for traditional for my traditional midwifery project, the Bridge Midwives project, I can't be on call all the time. These right. women aren't going to stay alive forever. I got to I got to get out there and talk to them. So, yeah, I can't do both, unfortunately. Right. And I want to see home birth rise. I want to see um, an alternative system come into place. And so that's what I'm working on. And then, of course, my passion right now, which is what I'm doing, is traveling around and teaching the skills that that the uh, medical industrial complex has refused to teach anymore. Yeah, um, that awesome. makes that that serve women the, the idea that a breach and twins and those sort of things can still be done and should be done uh is being lost and i give advice every day i talked to a woman yesterday who had a myomectomy um and wanted to know whether she needed to have a cesarean section and and i look at the things that she's been told and i realize that you know what this is it's almost cookbook these people are just repeating things they're not individualizing their care they're not giving them informed consent they're saying yeah the risk is higher well, what does higher mean? It doesn't mean anything if you don't know what the denominator is and you don't know what the underlying risk is. And ultimately, it's the woman's decision to take it to take that risk or not take that risk, not to be told that you can't, you know, you have to have this and you have to have that and you're not allowed to do this. Right. And that that system just has to go. Um, you know, we live in a world right now where we're being controlled more and more and micromanaged more and more. And uh, it's a it's a digital world. And eventually they want to control everything about you. And if they can control your healthcare and they control your food supply and they control your communication, they really, they really control everything. And there's a lot of us that don't want that to don't want to see that happen. And I think there's more people out there than think like we do. They just don't know where to access it or what to do about it. And so again, my role at this point in my career is, you know, as much as I want to be at an individual breach delivery, I don't yeah. think it, I think, I don't think it serves the greater good as much as yeah. like what I can do el elsewhere and, and, and yeah. by traveling around and, and speaking and talking 
even being, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with uh, the medical board issue uh, with the Facebook post. I think I told you about that on the podcast before. I just got a bill from my attorney for the last month and a half of $4,000. So that, you know, it's, I'm spending $4,000 to defend myself against a Facebook post. And, and you know, California's gotten even crazier with Assembly Bill 2098, which we, again, we another podcast, I was going to talk a little bit more about what's going on with these sorts of things. I've got some other stuff to talk about. But we should probably end it today because that was really an interesting change of pace for, for me to just listen to these women talk with such enthusiasm, as you said, mm-hmm. um, of the enthusiasm of youth. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. That's what we need. We need people who are inspired about what they're doing. So they are definitely passionate. And I, yeah, it was fun to talk to them. So enjoy your beautiful scenery. Um, and, uh, we will see you next week. Yeah. I'm off. To Fort, I'm off to Fort Collins and then on to Texas. By the time this comes out, I'll probably still be down in Texas teaching breach. So, uh, again, thanks for being here today, bliss. It's always good to see you. And until you next too. time, um, be safe, be lovely, be safe. Nah, <laughs> All right, bye-bye. but be lovely. I'll do that. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 